You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. So David uh, is in Utah this weekend, and he asked me to preach, but uh, we've been doing this series. We finished it, actually, on Wednesday nights. If you're not coming to Wednesday nights, you're missing out, especially starting right now. We had Heather preach last week. Uh, Kent's going to be preaching this Wednesday night. Um, we got uh, Aaron's going to be preaching. Destin's the week after that. We've got Haley's going to be preaching, which I'm super excited about that one. Jack's going to be preaching. Uh, Kobe, Taylor, Ivy, like it's just, just a great lineup. Uh, JJ's going to preach one night. And so we've got this lineup of speakers and working with them. Uh, but to kick off our Wednesday nights, David has me do this, this series that breaks down everything we believe in the church. But it also breaks down the, the basics of, of the Bible and the basics of what we believe. Because a lot of times we can get so far into, into learning other stuff, you forget the basics. In bull riding, it's very important that you always go back to the basics. Like Cody Custer always says, bull riding is the easiest sport in the world. It's just the hardest to put into practice. Because there's really only six things you have to do. And if you know those six things, your riding percentage goes ways up. And you get to thinking about so many other things. So when you start bugging off, you have to go back to what are the basics. And I believe it was Jack... Uh, Nicholas had said as a golfer, he said, when you always see that uh, records are broken in the finals, because in the finals, you play at your best, and it's the highest stress, and when you're at the highest stress, you rely more on your basics than you do any other time, and that's why they're getting broken, is because everybody's going back to the basics, and so that's important with that in the Bible, and and we kick it off with talking about salvation, and David asked me to to come and preach that again, because he's like, we need the whole church to hear this the sermon on salvation and, and what it means. And, and those that know my preaching style and how I preach, I kind of dig really deep into things and, and almost overanalyze a little bit. But uh, So we're gonna do that this morning. So those that are here, we're here on Wednesday to begin the series. I apologize, you've already heard this. If you are not, uh, have not been coming to those, we actually have this series is available online. It's called Get Understanding. And so you can go online, go to uh, dcctx.church or dcctx.church. And uh, you can go to the Get Understanding, and you can see the, uh, the, the eight-week series that we have here, and we break down. And so this is the first week, and it's asking the question, am I saved? And we're going to look at the, uh, looking, looking to answer some often-thought questions, and what does it mean to be saved? So here's a question I have for you that a lot of people ask. If I get saved, does that mean I've, been, I've punched a ticket to heaven and can live life however I feel from here on out? It's a question I hear a lot as, as a pastor. What does the word saved even mean? Just because I prayed a prayer repeating after someone else, does that mean I'm saved? So let's tackle that first one uh, as it's a pretty touchy one in churches. We have made salvation more about the prayer and less about the process. I get it. The prayer is what jumpstarts people. It's what gets them going. It's what gets them saying. But what's happened is is that churches have made it a, a punch on their validity card. And so they will say, who wants to repeat this prayer after me? Who repeated that prayer? And 25 people raise their hand. And then they jump on Facebook and say, we had 25 salvations last night. No, you had 25 people repeat a prayer after you. You can't look into the hearts of 25 people. There's a difference between repeating what someone else says and experiencing someone, uh, something to the point of your heart believing it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I lived up north. I grew up in South Dakota. We didn't have Chick-fil-A. And when I was rodeoing, I always heard people say, you gotta try this Chick-fil-A out, man. This Chick-fil-A have the best chicken. And I was, I was ranch. I grew up, my, my uh, grandpa is like, you don't eat anything but beef. Beef and buffalo, that's all you're allowed to eat because that's what he raises. And so I didn't eat a lot of chicken. And when my wife and I got married, I moved down to New Mexico and they had a Chick-fil-A right there and I ate the Chick-fil-A. And let me tell you something, there was a difference between me going around telling everybody Chick-fil-A is good because they tell me it's good. Now I go and tell you Chick-fil-A is good because I've experienced it. That makes sense? You can go around telling people, yes, Jesus is great because you're told that, but when you experience it, it's a whole nother level. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You are confessing it with your mouth to profess the faith that is in your heart. That's what that is. Why is it so important to believe God Raise Jesus from the dead because our entire faith is built on Jesus not lying about who he was and what he was on earth to do. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, 
then he was just another person claiming to be the Messiah and the whole promise of our faith doesn't even exist. Did you know that when Jesus was walking the earth, there were three other people at the same exact time claiming to be the Messiah? There were people all throughout Jewish history claiming to be the Messiah. The difference between them and Jesus, number one, Jesus was the Messiah, but they thought the Messiah was there to save them from the Romans. So they were military leaders. They were insurrectionists. Jesus was there to save mankind from something far greater. And that's where a lot of them couldn't wrap their heads around it. That's why some of the disciples even went to follow him early on because they thought, here is somebody who is a military leader. He's gotta be a military leader because that's what the Messiah, that's how they wrapped their head around it. But Jesus was saying, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to save you and your soul for eternity, right? When Jesus was raised from the dead three days later, it validated all the claims he made before then saying he would be raised from the dead. And by validating those claims, he then validated his purpose for being here. Later in this series, we actually broke down uh, the evidence proving that Jesus was who he said he was. And I encourage you to go back and watch those because there's some pretty cool stuff that college universities have done to try to look at the probability of Jesus being able to just fulfill, just fulfill the uh, prophecies that we can prove through documentation. He was born in Bethlehem. He was... Uh, when Jesus was raised from the dead three days later, it validated all the claims he made before then saying he would be raised from the dead. And by validating those claims, he then validated his purpose for being here. Later in this series, we actually broke down uh, the evidence proving that Jesus was who he said he was. And I encourage you to go back and watch those because there's some pretty cool stuff that college universities have done to try to look at the probability of Jesus being able to just fulfill, just fulfill the uh, prophecies that we can prove through documentation. He was born in Bethlehem. He, was, uh, uh, he died on the cross. Just, there, there's, I believe it's eight uh, prophecies that were physical that we can prove and the probability of that, go back and listen to it, it's amazing, I don't have time. We got a lot of stuff to get through today so I don't wanna, I don't wanna get sidetracked. See, when I was young in ministry, when I was about 15 or 19 years old, I was, uh, used to be all about getting people saved, and moving on to the next thing, okay? I was all about going to rodeos, getting people to repeat the prayer after me, leaving, going to the next place, getting people to repeat the prayer after me, and going and leaving and going and leaving. And as I grew up, God started to deal with me on what I was doing and how I was hindering the, the family of God and the kingdom of God rather than helping the kingdom of God. Since then, I've become obsessed with deciphering what salvation truly means. And today we're gonna to be diving into years worth of studying and all into one morning, all right? So what does it mean to be saved? When can we fully understand, or when we can fully understand what the word saved means and unlock so much more of what's going on than what we typically wrap our heads around saved being? We have limited ourselves to understand that being saved in biblical terms is only limited to what the word saved means in the English dictionary. We've, we see saved and we subconsciously make it out only to be about being rescued from hell. While that is a big part of being saved, that's not all that what saved means. In order to really understand the word saved, we have to understand the Greek word that was used in, when they said saved, and that word is called so-so. S-O-Z-O, sowed-so. Sowed-so means to escape destruction, be healed, and be preserved. But it also encapsulates within its meaning to be made whole, to be made whole in body, soul, and spirit, to actually be made, and here's the word that people have a hard time with, to be made perfect. Now, does that mean we are perfect? No. We're humans, and there was only one perfect human being in history. But it means to come into alignment with the perfection that is Christ, okay? We are being made perfect in the purpose that God created us to be. But let me explain where the, that comes into effect. Let's go look at three scriptures real quick. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Being saved, that's present tense, right? Taking you back to school. How many, how many teachers we have in here? A few of you? Being saved, present tense, right? 1 Corinthians 3.15 talking about what we build on the foundation. If anyone works, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Get us through fire, will be saved. It's future tense. We have present tense, future tense. Ephesians 2, eight through nine, for by the grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves as a gift to God, have been saved, past tense, okay? Reading on verse nine, it actually says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
Salvation is by grace through faith, lest anyone should boast. Let me put it another way. There's gonna be no boasting in heaven. No one's gonna be walking out of heaven saying, I got here because of who I was. No, they're gonna get there. They're gonna understand everyone in heaven is there completely and totally by the grace of God and we responded to that grace. So here's what we need to read, or we just read. There are those who are being saved, present tense, those who will be saved, future tense, and those who have been saved, past tense. I wanna ask you a question. Are you being saved, or will you be saved, or have you been saved? And I'm gonna answer that question for you. Yes. You will be saved, and you are being saved if you have been saved. This doesn't make sense right now. It's gonna make sense in a minute. You will be saved and you are being saved if you have been saved. It's confusing. Just follow with me on this. The best way to understand this is that we are three-part beings, uh, body, soul, and spirit, trichotomy. Our bodies will be saved. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 52, and 53 says, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality. Our bodies will be saved in the resurrection. We will get a new body, the Bible says, and our bodies will be so-so. They will be perfect. Right now, we're in a decaying body. Now, you have to understand, we as a church, we believe in God's healing. We've witnessed it ourselves. I've witnessed it in my life. I can sit, I can sit here and tell you a whole hour worth of stories of healings that I have witnessed with my own eyes. That uh, Tim Stoon and I were doing, a, we, were, we were still in high school, I was in high school, I think he was in college. We, we had a guy die in a service that we were performing. Just died right there in the middle of the service. And we knew he was dead because uh, you nurses, what happens when somebody dies? And he, everywhere. So they drag him out the back. Tim goes running out. He hands me the microphone. I don't know what to do because he was preaching, so I just start talking. He runs out the back, lays hands on the guy. The guy come back to life. True story. We had a packed house the next night, by the way packed house the next night at that deal. That's just skimming the surface. But understand this, even if you get healed of something, your body is still dying. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but every one of us in here dying, at some point we're going to die physically because our bodies are decaying. So our bodies will be saved during the resurrection. Our souls, our mind, will, and emotions are being saved. Our souls are being transformed or renewed into the mind of Christ. Our mind, will, and emotions are in the process. A lot of the series that we did dealt on that very thing, right? Those that were on Wednesday nights, a lot dealt on the process. And I encourage you, if you were not there, go back and watch those because it's going to, I think it's going to change the way you look at a lot of things, okay? James 1.21 says, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. One day we'll have so-so bodies, perfect bodies. Our souls are being perfected during the process, being made whole, but listen to me carefully. Our bodies will be saved and our souls are being saved. Our spirits have been saved. Past tense, if you've accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Your spirit, if you accepted Jesus, your spirit has a perfect relationship with God because Jesus paid the full price for your sins. So today we're gonna talk about the word saved and we're gonna be looking at the past tense version of it, okay? If you wanna, if you wanna focus on the, the present tense, go back and watch that series on, on dcctx.church. Too many people get saved and they're confused about what do I do now? That's where you have to focus on that stuff that we talked about the other, the being saved, your mind, will, and emotions being transformed, being renewed into the mind of God. But today we're gonna focus on the past tense of our spirit because being, uh, having been saved and what happens when a person gets saved. So we're gonna do quickly focus on seven points, okay? Don't worry, we'll be able to cover all of them in the three hours I have you with me. So we're gonna go good on this. I'm gonna double clutch my teeth, we're gonna get through these. So let me tell you the seven things about being saved. And I'm gonna tell you right now, you wanna take notes because I'm gonna move fast and you're gonna wanna take notes on these. All those that are Wednesday nights, right? You're gonna wanna take notes on these. Number one, it's a gift. It's a gift. You have to, have to, have to get this through your heads because if you don't, it messes up everything about your walk with God. Let me put it this way. It is a goal to achieve, not a gift to receive. Uh, 
it's not a goal to achieve. Sorry, I was like, that sounded wrong. It is not a goal to achieve. It is a gift to receive. Salvation is not a goal to achieve. It's a gift to receive. And you can't have it both ways. If it's grace, then it's not works. And if it's works, then it's not grace. Don't take my word on it. Romans eleven six, and if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Instead of works, is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Here's another way to understand works and grace. Grace would be a gift while works would be earned, something with that we do to earn something. Here's what he's saying. If it's a gift, you can't pay for it. You can't earn it. Otherwise, it's not a gift. If I was to come to your house and say, you know what? I got a gift for you, something I want to bless you with. God laid this on my heart, and, I, and I, I hand it over to you, and you open the gift, and it's the keys to a Porsche. And you're like, wow. This, see, I can dream. I can afford a Porsche in my dreams, so we'll just go there. So I'm buying you a Porsche, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. It's a great gift. I'm like, yeah, God laid it on my heart. I want to give you that gift. How are you going to pay for it? You're like, wait a second. You, you said this was a gift. I did, I'm, I'm giving it to you. Is that cash or credit? You say, listen, you need to hear this. That's exactly what we try to do with salvation. God's giving it to us and we're saying, okay, what do, I, what, what do I have to do to earn it? You can't, it's a gift. You can't pay for the salvation of God. You couldn't do it before you got saved. And here's the thing most believers have a problem with. You can't do it after you got saved. It's either a gift or it's earned. And according to the Bible, salvation is a gift. So number one, it's a gift. Number two, it's eternal life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages, there's your earning. Earnings wages, right? You're gonna see what you earned? The wages of sin is death. You earn death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What you earned is death, but God's gift is eternal life. 1 John 2.25 says, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Let me ask you a question. Can God lie? This is a promise that he has promised us, eternal life. God can't lie. 1 John 5.13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you may think, not that you may question, no, that you may know that you have eternal life when you believe in the name of Jesus. Since I have seven points and only six hours to give them, I'm gonna focus on each point too long. So I have two questions about eternal life, okay? First, how long is eternal life? Forever. But here's what we don't understand. When does it start? See, many people think, well, it starts when I die. Well, actually, it does start when you die. It starts when you die to self. It starts when you die to your own way, and when you accept Jesus from that moment on, you're living forever. You see, you have to understand something. I died seven years ago in a children's church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at Raymond Bible Church, where my dad was going to Bible school. I gave my life to Jesus. I died to self. Jesus came in, and now Jesus lives inside of me. And there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to go to me and say, listen, we've been living in your body long enough. We've been living in your house. Let's go to my house. And we're going to go to my house and my body's going to drop to the floor and everybody's going to think I passed out because of my brain injury and then they're going to realize I didn't. Those that know me know exactly what I'm talking about because they've had to pick me up off the floor sometimes. Picking up a quarter. Those that don't know, you'll, you'll see it eventually if you hang out long enough. But you're too late if you think I've died. You're going to be like, oh, no, it's a shame Nick died. I, I died 30 years ago. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me, and I've been crucified with Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's what it is. That's why there are a lot of people who think they're saved who aren't saved because they haven't died to their self yet. But once you die, eternal life begins. Does eternal life begin when you get saved or is God waiting to see if you're good enough to achieve it one day? No, it's a gift. It's eternal life. And number three, it's forgiveness. Acts 13, 38, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of your sins. 
Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now remember this, it's a God talking who we established cannot lie, right? We agreed that he cannot lie, and I want you to remember this. I will remember your sins no more. Psalms 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. You may not know this, but the east and west never touch. They go on for eternity, and that's how far God has removed your transgressions from you. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is complete release from the penalty that was against us. Not partial release, not a little bit of release, and see if we'll be good enough to get the rest of it later. God has chosen to remember my sins no more. Let me say it another way. I'm standing before the judgment. And an angel says, God, Lord, we've brought to you Nick Morrison. Tell me some of the sins he committed while on earth. And God will say, you know what? I can't remember any of them. Now, it's not that he can't. We all know he can. It's that he chooses not to. He makes a choice when I accept his son to remember my sins no more. Then he takes my sins and he removes them as far as the east was from the west. And listen, he's not gonna travel to the east and then travel to the west to get them back. Do you realize this is a way better deal than we think it is? Number four, it's justification. Being saved is being justified in the sight of God. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 23 before that says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't go pointing your finger to other people's sins. You want God to spotlight your sins, he will. And I don't think you want him to. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, there's works again, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh should be justified. No one will be justified by the works, only by faith in Jesus Christ. The word justified, the root of that word is just. We also get that word justice from that word. Justified, justice, both come from the same root word. What it means to be justified in the sight of God is that God is a just God. Now listen to me carefully. It is justice for him to sentence me to heaven when I deserve hell. This is when people get messed up. So if you get anything from this today, get this sentence. God doesn't send people to hell. People always ask, why would God send anyone to hell? A loving God would never do that. God doesn't send people to hell. We are already on our way to hell. We deserve hell. That's our wages. That's what we have earned. That's our paycheck. God in his grace sends us to heaven because Jesus paid our full price. Listen, since Jesus paid my full price, if I receive it, God has to let me go free because he's a just God. He can't punish two people for the same crime. He's already punished his son, and when I accept that, my price has been paid in full, and now I'm sentenced to heaven. You gotta change the way you're thinking. God is not sending people to hell. He's sentencing them to heaven. You follow me? It's being justified freely by his grace. It's justification. Here's number five. It's righteousness. Romans 4, 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him righteousness. Now I have to zero in on two words here, righteousness and accounted. Righteousness means being in right standing with God. It doesn't mean doing the right thing. That's righteous, righteous living. But righteousness means being in the right standing with God. It was accounted to him for righteousness, accounted. The root word there is account. So it is literally talking about accounts, okay? We are all familiar with having so much in one account or not having any in that account, right? And moving it to another account. Here's what happened. In my account, there was sin. In Jesus' account was righteousness, right standing with God. Here's what God did. He took all of the sin out of my account and he put it in Jesus' account. That's why Jesus died for my sins. He was found guilty of my sin and your sin 
and all sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God has actually taken the sin of the whole world and put it in Jesus' account. John 3.16, everybody loves that scripture. For God sent his own, loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Every person in the world's sins have already been paid for, but they're not all saved. Do you know why? Because you have to believe, you have to accept, and you have to die to self. So here's what happens. God took all of our sin, put it in Jesus' account. Then when I believed, he took all of the righteousness in Jesus' account and put it in mine. That's what it says. When Abraham believed God, God put righteousness into his account. He accounted it to him. You have to understand that you still have a choice. Every person's sin in the world have already been paid for. Some might say, well, then where are the people still? Why are people still going to hell? It's simple. The Bible doesn't say he who sins goes to hell. It says he who believes has life. He who doesn't believe doesn't have life. Pretty straightforward. My sins have been paid for. Your sins have been paid for. What it's like is God has put millions upon millions of dollars into a bank account. And all you have to do is drive across town and get it. But you're like, ah, it's raining outside. My favorite TV show's on. And you come up with all excuses not to go get that money. It's a free gift. It's eternal life. It's forgiveness of all sins. It's free. How could you pass it up? That's what salvation is. It's righteousness. Now, these next two points we don't talk a lot about because they're harder and not the easy path per se. So we've gotten through the easy stuff. Now we're gonna get into some of the harder stuff. Number six, it's redemption. We read a moment ago, it's justified freely by his grace and, and who we have redemption. First Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Now watch this phrase, and you are not your own. You don't belong to you if you've been saved. Verse 20 says, for you were bought at a price, you were purchased, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. The word redeem means to purchase back. This is very important, follow me. God gave ownership and the deed of the world to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve then lost that to Satan, which is why he was trying to trick them so much. And then Jesus came and legally purchased it back. He purchased you back. But he created you in his image because you are created in the image of God, so you have a free will. You can choose whether you wanna serve God or not serve God. He didn't want a bunch of robots on earth. He gives you the option. This is something we don't talk a lot about. If you are saved, you're not your own. You don't belong to you anymore because he's already purchased you, he paid for you, and if you choose to become his, listen, property. Why do you think Satan fights so hard to get into your head about it, about if you're saved or not? It's because he lost that property and he wants it back. God's saying, you're not going back. You belong to me, you're my child now, you're mine. It's redemption. I got one more point. All these sound wonderful. It's a gift, eternal life, forgiveness, justification, righteousness, redemption. What's the catch? It's free. What's the catch? Number seven, it's total commitment. That's the catch. There are a lot of people who simply want to have fire insurance. They will go to church because they don't want to go to hell and they'll never do, they'll even do some churchy things, but Jesus isn't the Lord of their life. They will say he's the Lord of their life, but it's lip service, not heart service. We put it on banners. We put it as our Facebook status. Jesus is Lord. Put it on our belt buckles. But it's not a committed statement. It's a committed heart service. Luke 6, 46 says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? It's right there. You're, when it's saying Lord, Lord, it's, he's not stuttering. He's saying, I'm calling you Lord, Lord, you're calling me, you're saying Jesus is Lord, but why aren't you doing the things I say to do? Why do you call me Lord, 
but still do what you want to do. Why do you even go through the motions is what he's saying. Matthew 7, 21, 23 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Lip service. See, that's pretty amazing right there. Not everyone who calls him Lord is going to heaven. It says here, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's pretty cut and dry. Not everyone who says it, but rather who does it. Many will say to me on that day, how many? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name and then will declare to them, I ne- and I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now this is amazing. He didn't say there will be a few. He said there'll be many. But where are the people who are saying this? Just be clear, where are the people who are saying this located? Are they in the bars? Are they in the drug houses? No, they're in the church. I mean, where else do you prophesy and cast out demons? So now if many people who attend church are not saved, many people who call them Lord, Lord, they aren't calling them Muhammad, Lord. They aren't calling Buddha, Lord. They're saying Jesus, Lord, and he is still gonna say, I never knew you. Think about this. How many of those are actively engaged in ministry? They're prophesying in God's name. They said God said it, right? And they said it in God's name, so it must be God telling them. That's a whole other sermon. We actually, we actually talked on that a little bit in the series later on. But they are actively participating in ministry and still God says, I never knew you. If many people actively engaged in ministry are not saved, how many more just attend church or attend every now and then? what he says I never knew you doesn't say I knew you but then I forgot you says I never knew you that scares me that scares me what are my motives and everything that I do am I doing what God told me to do or am I doing what glorifies me I do some crazy stuff because God told me to do it did it last night because God told me to do it is it glorifying me or is it glorifying God because I don't want to get to heaven and God say I never knew you Some people might say, well, that's just proof you can lose your salvation. In fact, it proves the exact opposite because he said, I never knew you. Therefore, you aren't being saved in the present tense or future tense because you haven't had the past tense experience yet. You've never come to a place where you were willing to give control of your life to the Lord. Now, I believe children could be saved. I was saved at seven years old, but eventually you grow up and you still have to make a choice. At some point, you have to make that decision of who is in control of your life. And I wanna know, as, you, as a grown-up, are you in charge of your life? Are you the boss? Well, you say, well, how can I know? How can I know if I'm really saved? It's really simple. Who's the boss? Who makes the decisions for your life? Are your decisions to benefit you personally or to benefit God? If you are still in charge, listen to me carefully, you're gonna, you're gonna go to hell. Someone has to be bold enough to tell you that. And when you stand before God, you can't say no one said it because I said it to you now. I'm telling you today that it takes total commitment to receive his gift. Are your decisions yours? Who are they benefiting? When I graduated high school, I wanted to go to Bible school. I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps, go to Ramah. I thought this would be... This, this is what I need to do. I need to go to Ramah. I want to be in ministry. I've been preaching since I was 15. And I thought that's, God would want me to go to Bible school, right? And God said, no, I want you to go to normal college. And it didn't make sense to me because I was like, well, I must not be hearing from God because God would say go to Bible college. But my parents had taught me at a young age how to listen to God, how to hear from God, which is also one of the weeks in this Bible study is how to hear from God. And so I listened to God and I went to college and I studied corporate business management, which is pretty much doing managing many locations that you are not in. It has nothing to do with ministry. I went on a rodeo scholarship 
So I was, I was rodeoing for, for the college and I was, I was doing the school, doing everything. And then my bull riding career was ended at 21 years old with a freak accident. And my whole world had flipped upside down because I had been focusing nothing but bull riding. I started riding steers when I was nine, started riding bulls when I was 12. At 16, I was, I was traveling. I was getting to travel with, the, with the, some, uh, some of the biggest names in the sport and get to learn from these guys and be around them. And my whole life was this. And 21 years old, before I'd even hit my prime, it was over. And I'd already come back from a broken C2 in my neck. I'd already recovered from a broken T1011 in my back. I'd already recovered from full reconstructive sur- surgery in my shoulder. Frustration after frustration, I said, God, I, I had to go into ministry, but I can't because I thought, you know, Barney Fife looked alike like me because I was a lot skinnier back then. Nobody wants to listen to me preach about God, but they do when I put my hand in the bull rope because then I look like John Wayne, who happens to be a Morrison. You can connect the dots. And so I thought, I can't do this because bull ride, and, and, and you told me not to go and learn how to do this. So I ran for a year. My wife and I got married, and then I got a phone call to go work at a church in Montgomery. And I said, no, because I'm never moving to Texas. I was like, that's never. And God said, go. So we went. And we had a little tiny youth group, about 15 kids. Really cool. One of the first kids had a, is all over the news right now because the Texas A&M did this huge wedding where they, his, the, the bride's uh, brother plays for AM and they wanted to do a fall wedding, but they'd miss his game. And so as actually Dos Equis actually is who stepped up, but they threw this whole wedding at the Texas A&M game, did all, did all this stuff, had the helicopters fly over. It was just the coolest thing. And the, the groom was one of our first teenagers, that group of 15, one of our closest, their, their parents, some of our closest friends still to this day. And, uh, but, um, we have this little group and I'm like, okay, God, I went and learned all about this corporate management and went and did all this stuff. Now I learned life experiences, had a lot of great stories come out of it, but I need to do ministry. And I, but I was making the decision because God was making the decision, not because I wanted to. And then that little tiny youth group, God started to grow. And it was actually the parents of that guy that got married, become our first like full volunteers. And we invested everything we had into that youth group. And I was leading worship at the time as well. And, and God just started to grow and we started to get in the community and then 15 kids turned into 50 kids. And then 50 kids turned into 100 kids. And then we built a, uh, we built a massive $2 million youth facility. And 100 kids turned into 200, into 300, into 400, into 500. And all of a sudden we got this massive youth ministry. And then I'm speaking at a conference and God says, in the middle of me preaching to a bunch of pastors, God says to me, I want you to supply their youth ministry because they can't afford it. So I just blurted out. I'm like, hey, if you want us to help supply your youth ministry, meet me back at the table in the back and, and we'll talk about it. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Over 30 churches came to us and said, we can't afford youth pastors. We're in small communities all over the U.S., all over the mid, mid-U.S. It, we weren't over on the eastern side, mostly on the western side. And we were able to then use what God had blessed us with because we were already, our church was already starting to satellite out. So we had all the capabilities of satelliting out. And we were able to supply youth ministry for over 30 locations around the U.S., hitting another 1,000 to 1,500 kids a week. And I was sitting there one day because it's a lot to manage. And I'm sitting there and I'm doing all of this different stuff. And I hear God say, aren't you glad I sent you to corporate business management school instead of ministry school? And here, everything that I had learned in a college that I thought God why are you sending me here? Because I should be going over here. God was preparing me to groom a ministry that we were able to hand off and a ministry that's able to reach people. Because I'm gonna tell you, small rural towns, they've got two options, stay home or go out and drink. So when you give them something fun, like we, we blew, they had fun at this stuff. You give them something else to go to. There was one town that we had, almost every kid that lived in that town came to that youth group. I think their school was like 120 kids, uh, all the high school, and we had like 115 kids coming to these groups. Like meeting in a movie theater, having fun. God was able to groom that and build that. I'm saying all that not to brag about what we did. I'm saying all that to say, who is in control? God knows way better than you do. He knows way better than you do. 
If I'd have gone about it my way, I'd have gone to Ramah and I probably wouldn't have been able to do the things I was able to do because I was trained. Because it is not easy to manage over 30 locations that you are not there and you don't see the people and you're trying to train them and you wanna make sure everything's running smoothly and everything's going and everything always breaks down on Wednesday night. So you're getting ready to preach and you've got like 15 places, nothing's working and you're trying to get everything going. But God trained me because I listened because he was in control. Does that make sense? So that's why when God said, hand it all off and go to Dayton, we didn't do it without question. So, okay, God, what do you want me to do next? I wake up every morning, God, what do you want? Where do you want my feet today? Because I learned if I'd have looked ahead and saw myself in youth ministry, I'd have still gone my own way. God, where do you want my feet today? Okay, where do you want my feet today? Because then I'm gonna look up and I'm gonna be where he wants me to be, not where I wanna be. And God will make you do things that you think are crazy. Trust him. I encourage you, go listen to the series on hearing from God. Because a lot of times it's just PTA before bed. It's not God. Go listen to that series. So I'm telling you, it takes total commitment to receive God's free gift. Hebrew says it this way, there's a covenant and the covenant is not in full price until both people die. Jesus already died. It's time for you to die. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm not talking about you die to you, or I'm, I, I'm not talking about you going and, and dying. And, and I'm talking about you dying to yourself and your spirit and your soul. And you say, no longer will I live my life to please me. From now on, I live my life to please God. My life is not my own anymore. It's God's from this day forward. Listen, your decisions become a whole lot easier when your first question is, how does this affect my relationship with God, not how does this affect me? And they may not be the most fun decisions, but man, they're the best decisions. Sometimes they are fun decisions. If you haven't made that decision, in your will, you're gonna to go to hell and it can't be a decision made in your intentions. It has to be a decision made in your will. A lot of people leave church on Sunday morning with great intentions, heard a great sermon. Man, I intend to do that. Then the next week they're like, man, I intend to do that again. It's gotta be in your will. The Bible says, uh, some people say, but it says believe. I'll answer that pretty simple. Satan believes and he believes really well and he trembles to the point that he knows beyond a shadow of doubt he believes. But he's not going to heaven, why? Because he won't submit his will to the Lordship of Christ. You must, must, must yield control. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He doesn't take second place and he doesn't play games. Have you ever gotten a flu shot? I know this is a touchy. It's a touchy deal right now. Flu shot, what they do. And my brother-in-law has, has really broken a lot of this down to me to help me understand this more because he's worked on, on some of this stuff. And so it's, it's, I, I kind of like the over-analysis stuff. So it's really interesting listening to him. So I'm gonna dumb it down from what he told me because his was like a whole lot of terms I can't even repeat because I'm too country, I guess. A flu shot is actually a counterfeit of the flu. You take it into your body and it tricks your body into thinking you have the flu. And so then your body fights against it, your immune system, and your immune system builds against the flu. So you never had the flu. Listen carefully. It's a counterfeit. It's like a little bit of the flu. There are a whole lot of people who have received a little bit of Jesus, or even better, a little bit of religion. And it actually tricks them into thinking they've got the real thing, but they don't. They've tasted a little of it, but are not willing to accept the whole thing. So back to our original question, am I saved? I can't answer that. I can't. I'm not gonna sit up here and say, everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. I see that hand, I see that hand. I'm not gonna do that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of churches, I did it for a long time and it, and, and, and it jump starts, but I can, can't say, oh, well, I got those people saved, those people. First of all, you didn't get anybody saved. 
I learned that last night, but I got, you guys got time for one more story real fast? Okay. Sorry, I'm over time. My roommate in college, uh, we, they, we found out who our roommate was and he was somebody I knew from high school rodeo and this kid was like, his parents were ultra religious. And so he ran from God, didn't want anything to do with God. And I thought, I'm gonna be stuck in a dorm room with him for one year, I'm getting that boy saved. And God said, no. And I was like, well, what do you mean, God? I can get this guy saved. God says, all I want is for every time that he sees you, for you to be praying or reading your Bible. And so I would. I, I would, <laughs> and I'm not much for show. You guys know me with prayer and everything like that. I, I talk about a lot of that. Like, I'm not for show, but God told me to, so I'm gonna. So I'd time when he's coming back from class and I'd be sitting there studying my Bible, I'd make sure I'd do my study time that he would see it. And I used to have this prayer list on the back of, 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 of my, my door. I called it my hit list. And my hit list, I'd break down people. I had people on that hit list. I, I still do it to this day. And it's people that I'm praying for to get saved. People I know personally, people who are celebrities that I know, different things like that. I put them on this hit list. And then when I was going to college, I'd break them down Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I would close the door, look at the list, see who it was. And while I'm walking to class, then I would pray for those five people on my way to class every day. I come back one day and it was ripped up and thrown on my bed. And he said, get me off your list because I'd put them on my list. He knew what it was. So I went an entire year and I was like, man, I'm gonna have like this, this trophy on the wall getting this guy saved. Nothing happened. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get him saved during college at some point. God kept saying, no, I just want him to see you pray, see you read your Bible. So four years goes by college, he doesn't get saved. He's wild, he's rough, he's out there. He, uh, He's actually a really good horseman now. He's like super big in the reigning world now, but he, uh, he's still wild, but he gets better. So then he starts rodeoing with a, a friend of ours, Dustin Looper. And Looper calls me and says, dude, I'm so excited. I'm gonna get travel with this guy. I'm not gonna say his name because I don't wanna, his, people know his name, so I don't wanna say his name. But I, I said, uh, he said, I'm traveling with this guy. I'm gonna have him in a car for all these, these deals. So I'm gonna preach to him, I'm gonna get him saved. And he's all excited he gets in the car and God says, no, you're not gonna say a word to him. But every time that he sees you, I want him to see you reading your Bible and praying. Looper's like, man, if you know Looper, you, he's way more energetic than I am. So he does. Now here's the thing that we didn't know. We didn't know how hard this man's heart was because of his parents. He should have won the state high school final. He was a great bareback rider. Should have won the state high school finals many years in a row, but his parents wouldn't let him rodeo on Sundays because that was God's day. And so he grew a hard heart towards God because he couldn't rodeo on Sundays. The short goal of the state high school finals was always Sunday. So he always lost out and never even got to go to nationals. His senior year, he was 18. They couldn't tell him he couldn't do it. He won state that year. So he had a hard heart towards God. And if we'd have gone to preach to him, he'd just shut us off. But they've been traveling for over a year. And one day, Looper's sitting there reading his Bible and this friend of ours is driving. And he all of a sudden just pulls the car over in anger, slams it in park, says, what is it with you two? Looper looks at him and says, what? Every time I see you and Nick, you're always reading your Bible. You're always praying. You never once preached at me. Looper said, well, because it's real to us. And there on the side of the road, Looper was able to lead him to the Lord. Changed his life forever. And God taught me something. You don't have to, you never get anybody saved. You plant the seed. And we're fast food Christians. We want it now. That took six, seven, eight years. I got a series that I do on, that I've done on uh, planting the seeds and the different soils. And every soil can be planted in, but every soil has to be tilled differently and learning to till the soil before you plant the seed. And his soil was hard and it, had, it was so hard that it took years to build that up so the seed could be planted. So I can't answer your question if you're saved, only you can. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, have you submitted your will to God? Have you submitted yourself, your emotions, your decisions, everything in you. Is God Lord of all? Because if he's not, he's not Lord at all. Are you calling him Lord and not doing what he's saying? That's a question you can answer yourself. 
And I understand the churchy thing is, well, you can't leave and preach about salvation without us praying. Listen, I've heard lots of stories of people getting saved in their basement. We've got a friend, a rodeo guy that had been preached to forever, and he thought, if I win a world title, then that's going to be the end of it. And he won a world title. He went up to his hotel room. He set his belt buckle down on the bed and then broke down crying because the emptiness was still there. And he dropped to his knees and accepted the Lord in his life right there by himself. And now is one of the most powerful, powerful ministers I've seen. This is you and God. And I want you to ask yourself that. And only you can answer it. And we're going to leave on that. We're not going to pray. We're not going to do feel-good stuff. Well, we're going to pray to end. We're not going to do feel-good stuff. I want you to ask yourself. Seriously, look at yourself. Because I want to get to heaven and have God say, welcome, good and faithful servant. I don't want to get there and say, I never knew you. Amen? Father, I praise you and thank you that you did make us free will beings that you made us people who can uh, make our own decisions, can do our own thing, Father. But I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here tonight that needed this, they needed this spark, they needed this jump, they needed this push, whatever it is, Father, that they understand the value in salvation and all that is included with it, Father. But it takes that commitment. Father, I pray that they don't just leave here with good intentions, I pray that they leave here in their will to let you be the true Lord of their life, Father. I pray as we leave this, this church building, we step out into our communities, we step out into our homes, into our workplaces, our schools. Father, I praise you and thank you that we can be witnesses just even in our actions and magnetize people to you, Lord, with everything that we do. And all we do is to praise you, Father. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.